ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so in the previous two lectures the first lecture had been an introduction about aqidah and the study of aqidah the second lecture had been a biography of al imam abu hanifa rahimahullah ta'ala and a mini biography of al imam at tahawi rahimahullah today then we move into the explanation of Al-Aqidah Al-Tahawiyyah. The explanation of Ibn Abil Iz Al-Hanafi Rahimahullah. He begins his explanation with a mini introduction himself. And then he goes on to the opening lines of Al-Aqidah Al-Tahawiyyah. In his brief introduction moving into the lines, he says... فَإِنَّهُ لَمَّا كَانَ عِلْمُ أُصُولِ الدِّينِ أَشْرَفَ الْعُلُومِ إِذْ شَرَفُ الْعِلْمِ بِشَرَفِ الْمَعْلُومِ وَهُوَ الْفِقْهِ الْأَكْبَرِ بِنِسْبَةِ إلَى فِقْهِ الْفُرُوعِ وَلِهَذَا سَمَّى الْإِمَامُ أَبُو حَنِيفَةَ رَحْمَةُ اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ مَا قَالَهُ وَجَمَعَهُ فِي أَوْرَاقٍ مِنْ أُصُولِ الدِّينِ الْفِقْهِ الْأَكْبَرِ he says that the knowledge regarding the foundations of the religion, the knowledge regarding the principles of the religion, <coughs> it is the most noble type of knowledge. Having knowledge of the foundations of the religion, the principles, the usul, it is the most noble type of knowledge. And it is al-fiqh al-akbar. Having knowledge of aqidah, having knowledge of this tawheed, having knowledge of the names and attributes of Allah, that is the noble knowledge, the greater knowledge. And that is why al-imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah ta'ala, has that famous book where he explained and mentioned the foundations of the religion, Al-Fiqh Al-Akbar. The name of the book is Al-Fiqh Al-Akbar. And in that he mentions the principles and the foundations of the religion. So he begins by saying here, learning this type of knowledge, the knowledge of Aqidah, it is the knowledge of the foundations of your religion. It is the knowledge of the basis of your religion. This is not something secondary. Because the people out there these days, from the people of deviation and those who are misguided, they will have you believe that learning aqidah is only a secondary thing. They will say to you, we need to go and demonstrate, and we need to go to the embassy, and can you not see what's happening to the Muslims, and you people are sat here learning aqidah. That's only a secondary thing they'll say to you. And they don't realize that the rectification of the ummah will be when the ummah understands the correct aqidah. The rectification of the ummah will be when they learn the foundations of the religion. A person doesn't even know the foundation and the basis of his religion. Then how does he expect to rectify the ummah and to make the ummah strong? So here Ibn Abi Izz, he says, this is the most noble type of knowledge. Knowledge of aqidah, knowledge of the foundations of your religion, knowledge of knowing who your creator is. <coughs> and the need that we as the servants of Allah have, to knowing this aqidah and this knowledge, it is a need which is greater than all other needs. You know some of the salaf, they used to say, 
your need for knowledge is greater than your need for food and drink. Your body needs food and drink to survive, but it's your heart that needs this knowledge. If you don't have the knowledge, then your heart is dead. And that is what Ibn Abil Iz mentions here. وَضُرُورَتُهُمْ إِلَيْهِ فَوْقَ كُلِّ ضُرُورَةِ لِأَنَّهُ لَا حَيَاةَ لِلْقُلُوبِ وَلَا نَعِيمَ وَلَا طُمَأْنِينَ إِلَّا بِأَنْ تَعْرِفَ رَبَّهَا وَمَعْبُودَهَا وَفَاطِرَهَا And the need and the necessity that we have as servants of Allah to know our Lord, to know who our Creator is, what His names and attributes are, to know this correct aqidah, that is a need greater than all else. And there is no life for our hearts without that knowledge. And there is no blessing and no comfort or peace until our hearts we recognize and we know who our Lord is. Who is the one that we worship? Who is our Creator? بِأَسْمَائِهِ وَصِفَاتِهِ And that we know who our Lord is through His names, His attributes and His actions. The things Allah has told us in the Qur'an and the Sunnah that He does. وَيَكُونُ مَعَ ذَلِكَ كُلِّهِ أَحَبُّ إِلَيْهَا مِمَّا سِوَى وَيَكُونُ سَعِيهَا فِيمَا يُقَرِّبُهَا إِلَيْهِ دُونَ غَيْرِهِ مِنْ سَائِرِ خَلْقِهِ And our striving... Our striving, our effort, it is, it goes into this knowledge and learning which is more beloved to us than anything else that we want to gain closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَمِنَ الْمُحَالِ أَن تَسْتَقِلَّ الْعُقُولِ بِمَعْرِفَةِ ذَلِكَ وَإِدْرَاكِهِ عَلَى التَّفْصِيلِ فَاقْتَضَتْ رَحْمَةُ الْعَزِيزِ الرَّحِيمِ أَنْ بَعَثَ الرُّسُلَ بِهِ مُعَرِّفِينَ وَإِلَيْهِ دَاعِينَ وَلِمَنْ أَجَابَهُمْ مُبَشِّرِينَ وَلِمَنْ خَالَفَهُمْ مُنْذِرِينَ And our intellects, our minds, we cannot independently understand the aqidah and our Lord and who our Creator is. We cannot do that independently with our minds. We can't just imagine who Allah is. We can't just imagine what His names and attributes are. Our minds cannot by themselves work out who our Lord is and the names and attributes, etc. That is something we need guidance for. And that is why Allah sent the prophets and the messengers with that guidance, with the revelation from Allah, to teach us who our Lord is, to teach us that revelation from Allah. Allah sent the prophets and messengers with all of that guidance. Throughout history, 310 odd messengers, 124,000 prophets, all of the nations having prophets and messengers sent to them with that revelation and guidance from Allah to teach the servants of Allah who their Lord is and who they are worshipping and how to worship Him. All of that Allah sent it as the guidance with the prophets and the messengers. ثُمَّ نعم. إِذْ عَلَى هَذِهِ الْمَعْرِفَةُ تُبْنَى مَطَالِبَ الرِّسَالَةِ كُلَّهَا أَوْ كُلُّهَا مِنْ أَوَّلِهَا إِلَىٰ آخِرِهَا There are various types of things that we need to learn from the revelation that came to us. Two of the key things that we learn from all of this revelation and all of this guidance that has come to us. Two key things that we learn. Number one, from all of the messengers and prophets that came and the guidance that came for us now, Muhammad Wasallam and the Qur'an and the Sunnah, one key thing we take from all of that guidance is 
knowing and learning the path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How are we going to get to the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? What is the path to salvation? That path to salvation that is learned from that guidance that came with the prophets and messengers from Allah. That is one key thing you take from all of this guidance. The guidance in showing you where is the path to Allah. How do I gain and achieve and be upon and tread upon that path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is of course the sharia. Everything that legislation, the sharia that Allah has given us, you implement and practice that. That is your path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Secondly, what we also learn from this guidance, second thing that we learn, is the reward and the recompense of those who traverse upon that path. The great blessings that Allah has prepared for those who tread upon that path. The blessings of paradise. Paradise in it. In it is ma la ayna ra'at. What no eye has ever seen. Wala uduna sami'at. And no ear has ever heard. Wala khatara ala bali ahad min al bashar. And neither has anybody ever imagined the types of things that there will be in paradise. All of that great reward that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prepared for those who learn and understand and tread upon that path of clarity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So those are the two main things we're looking for in the revelation. Where is the path to guidance to Allah? How do we practice this religion, the Qur'an and the Sunnah? That is your path to salvation. Then also what we take from the revelation and what we see is the great rewards that Allah has prepared for the righteous. The great rewards that Allah has prepared for those who tread upon that path. And no doubt, those people who are more knowledgeable about their Lord, those believers who have more knowledge of who Allah is, they will be far more strict and stringent upon following that path. They will be the ones who tread upon that path more. The ones who recognize their Lord and understand their Lord who their Lord is and what the names and attributes of Allah are, the ones who have a greater recognition and realization of their Lord, they are the ones who will be greater in treading upon that path. And that is something obvious. Those who are learned, those who have knowledge, those who are learning and striving to learn their religion, they will be treading upon that path more than the ones who are negligent and ignorant and do not care and wander on the streets. Those who have greater knowledge of their Lord, they will be the ones who have a greater treading upon that path. Because they will be the ones who have greater iman, greater practice of this religion. فَأَعْرَفُ النَّاسِ بِاللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ أَتْبَعُهُمْ لِلطَّرِيقِ الْمُوسِلْ إِلَيْهِ the ones who have the greater knowledge of Allah, they will be greater in treading upon that path of salvation. And that is why Allah mentioned in the Quran also, ulama, that the ones who truly fear Allah are the scholars. The ones who truly fear Allah from His servants are the scholars because they are the ones who recognize and know their Lord over and above and more than the common people. They know who their Lord is. They know the great rewards Allah has prepared. But they also know the great punishments Allah has prepared for those who do not tread upon that path. So their fear of Allah is greater than the ones who are ignorant of who their Lord is. Then Ibn Abil Izzi carries on and he mentions some more points 
regarding this aqidah and the learning of this aqidah. <coughs> and he mentions, فَالْوَاجِبْ إِتِّبَاعُ الْمُرْسَلِينَ وَاتِّبَاعْ مَا أَنزَلَهُ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ What is obligatory upon us is to follow the messengers and follow the guidance that Allah revealed to them. In particular for us, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam now, and the guidance, the revelation, the Qur'an and the sunnah. And that is the source of the knowledge. Knowledge comes from the Qur'an, the speech of Allah, the sunnah, the revelation from Allah, and the understanding of the salaf, the sahaba, radiyallahu anhum. That is knowledge. Knowledge is not, but my imam said we have to do this though. But my other imam said, forget that we have to do this though. That is knowledge. Unless he's telling you something with evidences from the Qur'an and the sunnah, from the sources of knowledge. Now you will see in the aqidah of al-imam al-tahawi, he will quote to you ayat of the Qur'an to prove what he's saying. He will quote to you a hadith explaining the true aqidah of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah. So what is upon us, Ibn Abi'iz al-Hanafi says, is that we stick to that guidance which has come, and the final guidance, khatamahumullah bi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The final guidance is with, sealed with Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. فَجَعَلَهُ آخِرَ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ so Allah made him the last of all of the prophets. وَجَعَلَ كِتَابَهُ مُهَيْمِنًا عَلَى مَا بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ مِنْ كُتُبِ السَّمَاءِ And Allah made his book, the Qur'an that was revealed to him, as the one that overpowers all of the other books. The Torah, the Injil, everything that came before, they are now under the Qur'an. The Qur'an is the one that is now followed and must be followed all the way until the day of judgment. Even when Isa alayhi salam comes back at the end of time, one of the great signs of the hour, when Isa alayhi salam will return, when he returns, he will not rule by the Injil that he was given. He will rule by this revelation of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And in the other narration, the Prophet ﷺ said, even if Musa ﷺ was alive and came back, he wouldn't rule by the Torah now, he would rule by the Qur'an now. So this is the book now, this is the final revelation now. وَجَعَلَ دَعْوَتَهُ عَامَّ لِجَمِعِ And the da'wah of the Prophet ﷺ, this final revelation it is a revelation that was sent to all of mankind and jinn. Whereas previous prophets and messengers, they used to be sent to their nations. But Muhammad ﷺ was not sent to the Arabs only, or to the Arabian Peninsula, or to the people of Mecca or Medina. He was sent to all of mankind. That revelation, the Qur'an and the Sunnah is applicable to all of mankind, to all of the jinn, up until the hour is established. So upon us is to really learn this now, to learn this guidance and learn what is in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, to learn the foundations of our religion, to learn what the prophets and messengers all came with. Every prophet and messenger was given the same revelation when it came to these things. When it came to Tawheed, all of the prophets and messengers were given the same. The only difference was in the fiqh, what you may call. The ahkam, the rulings, some of the rulings about things were different. But the tawheed, worship Allah alone, that was something that was constant throughout all of them. And that is what will make the difference between the people of paradise and the people of hell on that day. Because imagine now somebody, he could pray his whole life five times a day, but still end up in the hellfire. How come? Because maybe his aqidah was still an aqidah of shirk. Maybe he still used to go and do tawaf around the graves. Maybe he used to still go and make dua to the dead people, but he used to pray five times a day. 
all of that may end up being nullified and invalid because of the aqidah of shirk that he was still upon. So this aqidah is the key. That's why when you talk about the five pillars of Islam, the key is the first one. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. If you believed in the second pillar prayer, five times a day, every day. Zakat, every year you give it. Sawm, fasting, every Ramadan you fast. Hajj, every year you go make hajj. All of that may be invalid, unacceptable, no reward, finished, if your pillar number one is not fixed. If la ilaha illallah, the tawheed, you do not have that fixed properly, you can do the other four pillars all your life and they may not be accepted. Same with the pillars of iman. Iman in Allah and the angels and the books and the prophets and the day of judgment and the decree. It's the first one that is the key. Iman in Allah. Because if that isn't fixed, then iman in the angels, the prophets and the books and everything else, that follows. You have to fix the key. The tawheed, la ilaha illallah. The iman in your creator, your Lord, in Allah. Then all of the rest, they follow under that. So here now we begin. With the opening line, <coughs> you'll notice in some of your texts, the opening page talks about how this is the aqidah of Imam Abu Hanifa and the aqidah of his students, etc. That is like an introduction into it that tells you that this is the aqidah of Imam Abu Hanifa, the aqidah of the Hanafi students. This is the aqidah that they wrote and that they taught. So that is mentioned, you'll notice in some of your texts at the beginning. That then tells you, and it shows you, that this is the aqidah of Al-Imam Abu Hanifa. And the students of Al-Imam Abu Hanifa. That is there in some of your texts at the beginning. But the first line of the aqidah itself then, is the line where Al-Imam Al-Tahawi says, نقول في توحيد الله معتقدين بتوفيق الله إن الله واحد لا شريك له. He says that we say, الإمام الطحاوي is now going to start talking to us about this عقيدة. So he says, نقول what we say about our aqidah, what we say is, fi tawheedillah, about the tawheed of Allah, what we say, meaning what we believe, regarding the tawheed of Allah, mu'taqideen, having iman and belief in that, bitawfiqillah, with that success that Allah gives us in understanding that, what we say regarding that is, Firstly, إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَاحِدٌ Indeed, Allah is one. لَا شَرِيكَ لَهُ No partners to Him. He is one with no partners and no associates. Ibn Abil Izz al-Hanafi says, regarding that line of Imam al-Tahawi, he says, التوحيد أول دعوة الرسل Notice how Al-Imam Al-Tahawi, the very first thing he begins with is that point telling you that as far as we're concerned regarding Tawheed, then it is our belief, our aqidah that Allah is one with no partners. That is the first thing he begins with. That is exactly the same as La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, the shahada. Testifying that Allah is one. So he has begun with the core. He has begun with the basis. He has begun with the foundation of Tawheed and Islam. The foundation of the first pillar of Islam, of the Shahada. So Ibn Abil Izz comments on that and he says, Tawheed, it is the first da'wah of all of the messengers. All of the messengers, all of the prophets, when they were sent to their people, they began 
calling their people to worshipping Allah upon Tawheed as the first thing. Including Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. At the time when the Prophet ﷺ was sent, were the people drinking alcohol, some of them? They used to. Did they used to fornicate? They used to. Did they used to maybe steal? They used to. These sins existed when he was sent to them, true? Absolutely. But did the Prophet ﷺ begin the da'wah by telling people, stop fornicating, Stop drinking alcohol, stop abusive speech with your tongues. Is that the type of thing that the Prophet ﷺ began the da'wah to them with? Not at all. Even though these are great haram things, they are big haram things, these types of actions, major haram, alcohol and fornication and these things and various things like that. However, the Prophet ﷺ didn't begin with those things. Telling them stop this and stop that and stop this. He began by rectifying something which was far more serious. Rectifying the issue of tawheed and shirk in their hearts. Because they were upon shirk. They were upon the worship of idols and many gods and deities. That was the key to the rectification. That needed fixing in their hearts first. As the scholars say, At-takhliyah. That when you give da'wah, you need to purify, you need to cleanse the hearts of the people, and then you can fill them with the correct aqidah. Those mushrikeen, their hearts were dirty with shirk. Their hearts were darkened with shirk. So the first thing in da'wah for the Prophet was to clean their hearts from that shirk and fill them with tawheed. Then after that would come the prohibitions about the haram actions and after that would come the commands about the prayer. Imagine even the prayer, salah. The revelation for that didn't come for at least 10 years after the prophethood began. Prophethood began. The da'wah began. The Prophet ﷺ was calling them to tawheed. Yet even salah, the revelation wasn't given for years later. So what was going on in all of those years at the beginning then? Not even the salah was revealed yet. It was all about tawheed. That was the first da'wah of all of the prophets and messengers. And this straight away, we've barely even begun. Straight away it gives you a clarification of what the correct Islam is. Is it the Islam of the people who tell you the priority is we need to get everyone together and make banners and go and demonstrate? Is it the ones who tell you the priority is everybody needs to understand how the king of Saudi Arabia is a kafir, or the king of Jordan is a kafir, or Kuwait is a kafir? Is it the ones who tell you the priority is we need to get together this weekend to go and do the 40 days, it starts on Saturday. Are those the priorities? They are not. The Prophet ﷺ, whatever his priority was, that is what our priority is going to be. And the priority that the Prophet ﷺ was given was the priority of calling to Tawheed and warning the people from shirk. So Ibn Abil Is says, the first thing all of the prophets and messengers called to was Tawheed. And that is exactly why Al-Imam At-Tahawi begins his whole book on Aqeedah with the issue of Tawheed. That is the first thing. Remember we talked about the path to Allah, the path to salvation. That path to salvation will occur when you practice the religion. You practice the halal, you stay away from the haram. All of that, doing it all, means that you will be treading upon the path of salvation. But what is the first step in that path to salvation? It isn't stop drinking alcohol, it isn't stop this or do this or do that. The first step on that path is the step of 
tawheed. That is what Ibn Abil Iz mentions here. وَأَوَّلُ مَقَامِ يَقُومُ فِيهِ السَّالِكِ إِلَى اللَّهِ And the first stage that the person who is treading upon the path to Allah stops on. The first stage you get to. The first step you come on is the step of Tawheed, the stage of Tawheed. And he gives you an example now. Ibn Abil Iz proves to you that this is how the prophets and messengers gave their da'wah. Starting with Tawheed. He gives you the example from the Qur'an. <coughs> where Allah says about Nuh alayhi salam. Who was the first messenger. لَقَدْ أَرْسَلْنَا نُوحًا إِلَىٰ قَوْمِهِ فَقَالْ يَا قَوْمِ عِبُدُ اللَّهِ مَا لَكُمْ مِنْ إِلَٰهٍ غَيْرُهُ that indeed we sent Nuh to his people. And he said to them, O oh my people, Nuh salam said to them, O oh my people, Allah, worship Allah alone. Ma lakum min ilahin You do not have any other gods to worship. All of these others, nothing. Worship Allah alone. That was the beginning message of Nuh salam to his people. Similarly, Allah tells us about Hud alayhi salam. Hud alayhi salam said to his people, In Surah Al-A'raf, he said to them exactly the same as Nuh alayhi salam. O oh people, worship Allah. Or rather, worship Allah. You do not have anyone else to worship besides Him. There are no other deities deserving of worship besides Allah. Salih السلام, said to his people exactly the same. Worship Allah alone. You do not have any other deities deserving of worship. Shu'ayb السلام, in the Quran Allah tells us, he said, He said to his people, Worship Allah alone. You do not have any other gods, nothing deserving of worship. And then Allah said to us too, وَلَقَدْ بَعَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ رَسُولًا أَنِعْبُدُ اللَّهَ وَاشْتَنِبُ الطَّاغُوتِ That we sent to every nation a messenger preaching to them, worship Allah alone and refrain from and abstain from and be away from the false deities and the false uh, gods that the people may be upon. In another ayah, Allah mentioned, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ مِنْ رَسُولٍ إِلَّا يُوحَى إِلَيْهِ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَا إِلَّا أَنَا فَاعْبُدُونَ <coughs> In Surah Al-Anbiya, Allah tells us that we did not send any messenger before you. يعني before you, O Muhammad. We didn't send any other messenger except that we revealed to him or it was revealed to him that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except I so worship me. Meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah tells us in the Quran that is the message that was given to all of the prophets and messengers that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah so worship him. Every prophet and messenger came with that message. Every one of them. From all of the beginning, Nuh alayhi salam, Ibrahim alayhi salam, Musa alayhi salam, uh, Isa alayhi salam, Muhammad alayhi salam, beginning to end, every one of them, this is the da'wah they gave to their people. None of this trinity and none of this other, Uzair is the son of Allah, none of those things. They are all fabrications upon them. Isa alayhi salam, Jesus did not come with trinity. He didn't say, worship me or Mary. None of that. All of them came with the call to Tawheed and to worship Allah alone. لِهَذَا كَانَ الصَّحِيحِ أَنَّ أَوَّلَ وَاجِبٌ يَجِبُ عَلَى الْمُكَلَّفِ شَهَادَةً لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ That's why the first obligation upon us all is that worship of Allah, that Tawheed. It is not as some of the people of innovation say, another. 
And that will maybe be discussed a bit more detail later on when they say that a person needs to investigate and check and analyze and work out who do we worship, what do we worship, how do we worship. It is not like that. Every person is born upon that natural disposition of Tawheed, of worshipping his Creator. And that is the first da'wah that all of the messengers came with. Here then he carries on and he mentions, بَلْ أَئِمَّةُ السَّلَفِ كُلُّهُمْ مُتَّفِقُونَ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ أَوَّلَ مَا يُؤْمَرُ بِهِ الْعَبْدِ الشَّهَادَتَانِ all of the Salaf are agreed and united upon the fact that the first thing a servant is called to is the shahada. And they are agreed that if a child before the age of puberty is upon the shahada, he utters the shahada, he is upon the shahada, he doesn't need to say it again after the age of puberty. He is upon that now. Rather when he gets older, all he has to do now is make his wudu and pray and do the worships. He is already upon the shahada now if he is already upon it before the age of puberty even. So that is the first thing. As the slave grows up, as the child grows up, the tawheed. They are taught that, the shahada, they are taught that. And if they understand and they are upon that, then that is the first stage. Then after that they learn the worships and the prayer and everything else and they begin to do it. وَهُنَا مَسْأَلَ تَكَلَّمَ فِيهَا الْفُقَهَا كَمَنْ صَلَّى Oh, نعم. وَلَمْ يُوجِبْ أَحَدْ مِنْهُمْ عَلَى وَلِيِّهِ أَنْ يُخَاطِبَهُ حِينَئِذٍ بِتَجْدِيدِ الشَّهَادَتَيْنِ وَإِنْ كَانَ لِقْرَارِ بِشَهَادَةٍ وَاجِبًا بِاتِّفَاقِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَوُجُوبُهُ يَصْبِقْ وُجُوبَ الصَّلَاةِ لَكِنْ هُوَ أَدَّى هَذَا الْوَجْبِ قَبْلَ ذَلِكَ نعم وهنا مسائل تكلم فيها الفقهاء كمن صلى ولم يتكلم بشهادتين أو أتى بغير ذلك من خصائص الإسلام ولم يتكلم بهما هل يصير مسلما أم لا والصحيح أنه يصير مسلما بكل ما هو من خصائص الإسلام فالتوحيد أول ما يدخل به في الإسلام أو يدخل به في الإسلام وآخر ما يخرج به من الدنيا كما قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم من كان آخر كلامه لا إله إلا الله دخل الجنة وهو أول واجب وآخر واجب This is highlighting how توحيد it is the first thing that is obligatory upon you and it is the last thing that goes with you meaning the first obligation upon a Muslim is to understand the shahada and to be upon that shahada and tawheed. Even from a young age, the children growing up. And the last thing that you should utter before leaving this world is La ilaha illallah, the shahada. So the beginning of your responsibility as a Muslim, as a servant of Allah is with the shahada. The ending at the end, before your death, is with the shahada. Beginning and end is with tawheed. Everything in between then, from the beginning of your life to the end of your life, which starts upon tawheed, ends upon tawheed. Everything in the middle should be based upon tawheed. All of that upon the tawheed, the worship of Allah alone. فَالتَّوْحِيد أَوَّلُ الْأَمَرُ وَآخِرُ Tawheed is there for the first thing and the last thing. وَالتَّوْحِيد يَتَضَمَّنُ ثَلَاثَةَ أَنْوَعَ And this Tawheed, it incorporates three types. Because remember, Al-Imam Al-Tahawi, his opening line was, We say about the Tawheed of Allah, our aqeedah regarding that is, that Allah is one, with no partners. He is now explaining Ibn Abil Iz, the oneness of Allah, that Tawheed has three aspects to it. That Tawheed, that oneness of Allah has three aspects to it. One aspect is in Ar-Rububiyyah. And that is, the oneness of Allah 
with regards to his actions. So Allah created the earth and the universe. Allah is one and alone in the creation of all of this universe. Nobody else participated or aided Allah in doing that. Allah gave life and death and created the beings alone. Nobody else participated in that. Allah sends down the rain and the provisions and the rizq alone. Nobody else aids or participates or has any share in that. Allah controls everything in the universe and what happens in all of creation. Alone, nobody else has any say in that. All of these things are actions done by Allah that we consider Allah, we believe, have aqidah, that Allah is one and unique in all of that. Tawheed al-Rububiyyah. Then also, Tawheed al-Uluhiyyah, al-Ilahiyyah, that we make Allah single and unique, we single out Allah with all of our actions now. Our actions, our worship, whether it is worship upon your tongues, recitation, dua, dhikr, worship upon your limbs, physically, hajj, prayer, or worship in your hearts, every type of worship, we single that out to Allah alone. Allah is one, no partners, anybody else deserving of this worship of ours. Tawheed al-Uluhiyyah. And thirdly, the Tawheed of al-Asma'u wa-Sifat, the names and attributes of Allah. That Allah is one and unique in His beautiful and perfect names and attributes. What we will be discussing throughout this book, insha'Allah. So those are the three categories of Tawheed. When we talk about the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa (coughs) ta'ala. Here then, Ibn Abil Iz moves on to explain in some more detail regarding this Tawheed. And the nature of this Tawheed and what we need to understand regarding this Tawheed. So he mentions that throughout time, people have obviously corrupted this very basic principle. And many people have gone astray on this very basic principle, the first line of At-Tahawiyyah, Tawheed. And many people have gone astray on the issue of Tawheed, before we even get into any of the rest of the book. The first line is talking about Tawheed. He tells you here, Ibn Abil Iz, he says that many people, they were corrupt, in their Tawheed regarding Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You have the example of the Christians. The Christians began to make this idea of the Trinity. And Nasara al-Qailuna bit-Tathlith. فَإِنَّهُمْ لَمْ يُثْبِتُوا لِلْعَالِمْ ثَلَاثَةَ أَرْبَابِ يَنْفَصِلُوا بَعْضُهُمْ عَنْ بَعْضِ بَلْ مُتَّفِقُونَ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ صَانِعَ الْعَالِمْ وَاحِدٍ وَيَقُولُونَ بِسْمِ الْأَبْ وَالْإِبْنِ وَالْرُوحِ الْقُدْسِ إِلَاهٌ وَاحِدٌ They who began to say that the God is three in one, three but one, and they began to say the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And so this Trinity concept that they came with, it is something that is contradictory in of itself and contradictory to the core of Tawheed and what Tawheed is. Because now they have split one deity into three, despite claiming that it is still one. And so that is a contradiction in of itself. Other groups, they went astray regarding these affairs, and other people in history... He gives the example of Pharaoh. Pharaoh and his claim to the people that he is their Lord. He is the Rabb. 
And that was a claim that he made. And in reality, of course, he knew that he was not the Lord of creation. And so there are many types of deviation like this that occurred throughout history. The Prophet ﷺ mentioned, لَعَنَ اللَّهِ الْيَهُودَ وَالنَّصَارَى اتَّخَذُوا قُبُورَ أَنْبِيَائِهِمْ مَسَاجِدِ Allah cursed the Jews and the Christians who took the graves of their prophets as mosques. They took the graves of their prophets as mosques. And it is mentioned from Aisha radiallahu anha, لَوْلَا ذَلِكَ لَأُبْرِزَ قَبَرُهُ وَلَكِنْ كُرِهَا أَوْ كَرِهَا أَنْ يُتَّخَذَ مَسْجِدًا Was it not for this reason that people would come and take the grave of the Prophet ﷺ as a place of worship? Then the grave would have been made open and apparent and everybody can go to it. But it was not made like that. And the Prophet ﷺ actually made dua to Allah, do not allow my grave to become a place of worship, people coming and doing shirk. And was it not for that, it would have been left open in the hadith of Aisha it mentions. But it was not left open like that. And there are other narrations that highlight this too. And it mentions that the Prophet ﷺ said about the people of the past, أُولَٰئِكَ إِذَا مَاتَ فِيهِمُ الرَّجُلُ الصَّالِحِ that they used to be people when one of their righteous ones died, one of their big righteous people died, they would bury him in the actual place of worship. They would bury him in their place of worship, their building of worship. And that is something you see right now in the Muslims too. Do they not? Some of the groups of innovation who have become misguided over these issues of Tawheed because of their level of respect and love for their great Imams when a great Imam of theirs dies they bury him not in the graveyard in the mosque or in the vicinity right there at the entrance or somewhere of the mosque do they not do that? absolutely they do it they did it in Birmingham just a couple of years ago I forgot the name in Birmingham probably some of you know that big mosque one of the mosques the imam died and they buried him there in the foyer area or somewhere just next to it and they didn't take him to the graveyard. This is what they do. The Jama'at al-Tabligh in fact, one of the first ones, the, the, the founder you could say, the name of which is <coughs> Muhammad Ilyas. He's buried where? Where is he buried? In a graveyard somewhere? Or in that place of worship? In the place of worship. And this is something common, you see. Many places in the Muslim world, they have the burials of these great imams, as they say, and maybe they were. But they bury them in the mosques, in the corner, in the foyer, in the corner down there, in the mosques. They don't take them to the graveyard. That's exactly what the Prophet ﷺ said about the people of the past. When the big ones used to die amongst them, they used to bury them in the places of worship. وَصَوَّرُوا فِيهَا تِلْكَ التَّصَاوِيرِ And then some of the others, they used to make those pictures and statues in their churches and other places. And أُولَٰئِكَ شِرَارُ الْخَلْقِ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ They are the most evil of people with Allah on the Day of Judgment. In another narration, إِنَّ مَنْ كَانَ قَبْلَكُمْ كَانُوا يَتَّخِذُونَ قُبُورَ أَنْبِيَاهِمْ وَصَالِحِهِمْ مَسَاجِدِ That those who came before you, the Prophet said, they used to take the graves of their prophets or the graves of their righteous ones as mosques. They would build the mosques on top of their graves. The Prophet then said, but be aware, don't take the graves as mosques. Do not build the graves and mosques on. Graves there and the mosques there. Do not do it like that. فَإِنِّي أَنْهَاكُمْ عَنْ ذَلِكَ I prohibit you from that. One issue that may be brought up here is the grave of the Prophet ﷺ. We know that the grave of the Prophet ﷺ initially was absolutely separate from the masjid. It was in the house of Aisha radiallahu anha. But that was right next door to the masjid. That's how it used to be in those days. 
very small. Medina was very small in those days compared to what it is now. So the house of the wife, the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, they were right there at the side of the mosque. So he was buried in the house of Aisha, radiallahu anha. Then after that, as time went by, the mosque expanded and expanded. More Muslims, expansions, expansions. They carried on expanding all the other directions. But they couldn't expand in that direction of the house of Aisha because that would mean they'd have to go around the grave of the Prophet ﷺ in there. So they didn't go that way. Eventually, it got to a stage where there was so much pressure, Muslims increasing numbers, Medina growing, they had to expand in that direction. So the ruler at the time, this was after the Sahaba, the ruler at that time made the decision, we're going to have to go that way. We'll block off the grave as it's blocked off now, all walls to the top, you can't see anything. Just from the front, where you give the salam, you can see everything has blocked off. Made the decision, we'll block it all off, and we're going to have to expand that way, for the sake of expanding the mosque. The scholars at the time generally didn't agree. They said we shouldn't, because it will cause confusion to people, and people may not understand, but the ruler decided we need to expand, it has to expand, we're under pressure, so he did it. Built the walls around, closed it off, and expanded. So even now, initially, there was nothing about the mosque and the grave together at all. Separate, separate. Only through later years of pressures of expansion, they ended up blocking it off and expanding around it that way too. But even now, the dua of the Prophet ﷺ stands. When the Prophet ﷺ made dua, that Allah does not make his grave a place of worship. And it isn't. Nobody can go there and start doing any prostrations. Security guards will pick you up straight away. Nobody can go there and start doing any other type of shirk or anything to the grave of the Prophet ﷺ. Security guards will remove you straight away. Any of the other sides can't do a thing. Huge walls blocking it all off. So that is not a doubt you should bring that the grave of the Prophet is in the mosque. It was not and it was not like that. And even now it is absolutely prohibited to do anything. No shirk is going to occur there. The guards will stop you straight away and remove you. So that is not a doubt you should bring. What we know is that it is absolutely impermissible to build mosques on top of graves. That you have a grave and you say, we're going to build our mosque on top of the grave of our righteous imam. Is that how it happened with this instance? Not at all. It was, it was no choice, the ruler thought. Or that they purposely bring their imams and bury them in their mosques. Is that what happened here? Not at all again. So that is not an example that can be used. That is where we'll round off this opening lesson. That first line of... Al-Aqeedah al-Tahawiyah talking about Tawheed and then we'll move on inshallah ta'ala to the following lines as we go along every Sunday now next week inshallah ta'ala so we'll conclude upon that for tonight wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in